Welcome to Chit Chat Money presented by Market Brothers Media. It is Tuesday, December 4th. This is now our 10th episode. We have an interview with president and co-founder of Coast Group of Companies, Sean Hoban. Yeah, we talk a lot about how he started his business from the ground up and built it into a company that manages $5 billion in assets. We learned a lot from him, and we think that you will too. Yeah, it's a great interview. After the interview, we also play a little Ain't Calling You a Trutha. Let's get the show going. Well, it was a bit of a dry week in finance, but we do have one headline, and we also got a stock on our radar. Yes, yeah, so... The get... headline is Microsoft, the new king. All hail the king. Yeah. Most valuable company for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Really important for investors to know that. It's They're... definitely like... The most, you know, that's what you should be paying attention their, to. Their market cap was a little higher than Apple's for like five minutes this week. That is super relevant and it yeah. is, uh, it's big news. Yeah. Um, but in reality, so it wasn't really that Microsoft caught up with Apple. They've just kind of been steadily growing all year. But Apple, after their kind of not really fiasco, but kind of we thought it was like kind of a fake fiasco, people freaking out about their unit sales, they've dropped like $100 billion. Um, what do you think? What one are you taking as a buy right now? If I was going for a buy, I would go Apple. Purely based off price to earnings, uh, I think Microsoft is somewhere around 40 right now. 40, maybe 35, still high. That's high because I think they're innovating at about the same rate. I think they both have good products, but I would still take Apple because Apple has a P of what? 14. 14. Maybe one up a little bit, but. Yeah, I'm taking Apple. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, Probably the same reasons people are getting on Apple, like they're kind of scared that the iPhone's losing um, popularity and people aren't buying as many new phones. But yeah. I still think they're trying to diversify the business, and they've got to, they're going to come out with a new product at some point. They've had the watch that's been okay, hasn't been really a growth driver. Yeah, but I think they'll come out with something soon. Microsoft is more diversified. They got the gaming office. And uh, cloud business, the cloud business has kind of been the reason that they've gone up this much. Yeah. Um, what yeah, a, but you but, also have another stock on your radar, though. What is it? Yeah. So this is kind of like maybe people wouldn't be too excited about, but I think Target. Yeah, that um, caught me off guard. Target is. I'm really liking what they're doing right now. Not strictly like they are going to be the new like best player, but right now their PE ratio is 11. They have a 3.5 percent yield, and they're growing earnings per share. Um, I think their trailing EPS growth was 20%. And in the last uh, earnings report, about 10, 15 days ago, their stock dropped because their operating margin was down a little bit for just some weird inventory reasons. Okay. And I think the stock is a great buy right now. They People, I think, kind of throw them to, threw them to the wayside. They thought, oh, they're just going to be all the part of the retail that Amazon just dominates. I think we may have hit peak Amazon. I could be wrong, but Whoa. I think we might have hit peak Amazon. That's a hot take. On their market share. I outlined this more. I wrote a big article about it on um, the website, marketbrothersmedia.com. Oh, yeah. So you can see the more the reasons why I think Amazon hit has hit peak market share. But Target, they are developing, even though it's been a little slow, they're developing their online sales. Uh, digital sales grew 50% uh, year over year. Okay. And they're starting their grocery pickup service. This thing doesn't need to just grow revenues super fast. I think they're only growing revenues in the high single digits. But... The valuation is so low. I think this thing is going to outperform Amazon for the next couple of years. That is that is a hot take. But my my only concern there is 
I never see people shopping online at Target. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah, but anecdotal, anecdotal evidence always means you should invest that way, right? All right I, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but you said they're growing digital sales 50% year to year. It's still a small part of their business, but that's because they said like, you know, all companies say this, that they're kind of in a transformational period, but they are building out the logistics network to make this work. Um, yeah, they seem to be quite late to the party. Amazon's been doing this for 20 years. And they kind of just let them take over the whole industry. But to me, I think they're finally picking their feet up. Okay, so Target's your bullish take. Now we are going to move into an exciting interview with Sean Hoban. All right, we are welcomed by Sean Hoban, co-founder of Coast Group of Companies, to the show. This is our fourth interview and our third Sean. Yeah, third Sean's the charm, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Welcome on. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to start by asking, uh, what's with the name and who came up with it? Uh, you're talking about the Coast name? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, Tom and I uh, started this business um, in about 1987. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we were young guys uh, fresh out of college and hadn't had a whole lot of experience and, uh, you know, probably in hindsight, we, we may have uh, been a little more creative. But back in the time, you know, we didn't really have any aspirations for what the business was going to be. Um, it was more about just, just you know, trying to make enough money to buy groceries and yeah. and then feed our family. So, uh, you know, I think we, we, we tried to select something that we thought was, you know, broad enough that it would, uh, that we could grow into it. So, you know, we, we started the business in Everett. We didn't want to call it anything that was just limited to Everett. So we picked yeah. something kind of, you know, uh, that, that would, that would be able to grow into it. So that's where Coast came from. It was, uh, you know, we didn't go to any, certainly didn't go to any PR or marketing firms to uh, consult on what we should do. It was probably just decided one day when we had to put something on our letterhead. Well, you don't need to because we came up with a few. I'll rattle some off. <laughs> All right. uh, Coast Enterprises, uh, Coastal right. Associates of Real Estate Property of the Greater Northwest Region. Yeah. Coast Guard. Co- Coast Guard. Yeah. Coast Guard. Uh, Coast Coast Equity Brothers. You know, because the whole brothers thing. Yeah. Coast uh, Group Squared. Yeah. All right. All, we got plenty of them. Yeah. Real Estate for Reals. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you don't yeah. have to pick one now, but just think of them and. Uh, yeah, all right, a little more of a serious question. What exactly does Coast Group do? Yeah, um, it's funny because you were talking about the name there a little bit. You know, there there's about, uh, within our organization, there's probably 40 different entities, uh, different corporations, LLCs that we operate. Most of those would, would be, you know, entities that own uh, real estate, a, a single asset piece of real estate. Um yeah. But there's but there's a number of operating companies in there too. So uh, you know, kind of going back to our roots, we we started uh, in the property management business. So Tom and I, um, you know, came out of college. Uh, I'll some point here, I'll kind of tell you the story and how we got started in the business. But uh, basically, yeah. you know, it didn't didn't come from money. Our mom was a school teacher, and our dad was uh, you know a salesman, and 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 in real estate, uh, usually if you want to get in the game, you got to have some capital to do it. Yeah. Yep. And we didn't we didn't really have that, so we figured the best way to 
to get in the game and to really learn was to get into property management, which was really, you know, the operations side of, of real estate. And uh, with literally with a pickup truck and a plunger and, you know, uh, uh, back then we didn't even have computers. So it was, you know, ledger cards and those kinds of things. We were able to get, uh, you know, get convince a, a few local folks to hire us to, to manage their properties. Um so that's the beginning. It, it, you know, we literally started with you know a 29-unit apartment building in downtown Everett. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, that portfolio is about seven, eight hundred different properties. It's spread out all over Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. We've got offices in in uh, Bellevue, Portland, Spokane, Boise, and looking to venture into markets like Salt Lake City and Denver and others. Nice. Um, so you guys are still uh, growing, then? You guys are still. Trying to yeah. keep expanding. That's cool. Yeah, no question. Um, yeah, we'll, we're um, uh, we're growing organically, so we're just you know out there uh, competing and 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 procuring contracts. We're also have done a number of acquisitions uh, along the way and have have bought some other property management firms who are um, uh, you know strategic uh, alliances for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the property management business. We've got a general contracting business called CPM. Um, and it, uh, it does a lot of tenant improvement, uh, construction type activity. We don't do ground up construction, but it, imagine you've got an office building and you're changing it out from a, you know, dental clinic to, uh, to a CPA's office and you've got to, you know, move the walls and, and, and change it out. So we, we've got a business that does that. We've got another business. that's a relative startup called coast workplace solutions. Okay. Uh, and that business does facility management on a, on a national scale. So so okay. the best way I can describe that is um, we've got clients like Starbucks and and uh, we've got 500 stores in the southwest with Starbucks and mm-hmm. Starbucks wants their managers worried about selling coffee, not about whether the roof's leaking or the toilet's leaking or the parking lot needs to be cleaned up. And so we are kind of a one-stop shop for all of those vendor services. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. You, yeah, go ahead. you work with your brother. Now, personally, I would get a little frustrated after a while. How, uh, how has that been for you? Do you think it's helped or has it ever been frustrating at times? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, I think, I think the older we get, the more we uh, appreciate the relationship that, that, that we have. We see so many other, you know, partnerships, family partnerships and family companies. And, and uh, it's rare that, that, that they are, you know, as successful and, and amicable as, as, as our relationship is. Tom and I have, you know, we've been uh, best friends and brothers our whole lives. You know, everything from sharing our, our bunk beds together when we were kids to, um, you know, being in business today and our, our raised our families together and still are um, really it'd be impossible almost to unwind us. Uh, he's kind of the outside guy and I'm the inside guy. And I think that was important that early on in our, uh, in our businesses, we realized sort of what our strengths were and we, we, we allowed each other to kind of go that direction. Fortunately, we kind of complimented each other. He kind of goes out and, you know, develops relationships and opportunities and then he'll come home and throw those on the kitchen table and I got to figure out how to make a meal out of it. And, uh, and, and those, those are kind of our expertises. And so it's really been a fun, uh, fun time. And frankly, you know, we've had a lot of success in business, but, but I would say the thing that I'm most successful about is that I've been able to do it with my brother and, and have that kind of a relationship that has endured, uh, you know, through all the trials and, challenges that you have in business yeah yeah that makes that that sounds great the uh have you ever dealt with tenants directly i know that uh 
Now that you guys have grown a lot, you might not work with people personally, but did you have any funny tenant stories from when you started up? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, you, you know, we did. When we started out, we did everything. It, it was literally a pickup truck and a plunger, and, and we collected rents, and we rented apartments, and we, you know, cleaned apartments and mowed the lawns and all that stuff. So, yeah, we have a lot of, of memories and, and history of that direct relationship with the tenants. And, you know, at the end of the day, that our business wouldn't survive without those tenants. So they're the most important part of our uh, of our business, there are customers, and, and and we rely. But there have been some interesting, you know, and, and kind of fun, and in some cases, kind of scary uh, moments along the way. I, I, I recall one time we got hired to manage an apartment building in in Marysville, and I went out uh, there the first day, and the owner hadn't been there for a couple of years. He had somebody else managing it, and uh, he had just fired those guys and brought us in, and went in there with the key, and I opened up the door, and there was a. Uh, a calf that had been sacrificed in the <laughs> big wow. room of, of, the, of the yeah of the unit. So that oh took us a couple God. of weeks to get that thing cleaned up. Um, but you know, by and large, your residents are great people, and and a big piece of what we we do is about um, you know certainly we're in business to make money, but we're also there to impact lives, and 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 we recognize that. For many uh, families, their home, their apartment uh, community is, you know, is 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 critical to the success success of their family. So, um, you know, we put a lot of uh, energy and effort and and, and uh, resources into building these communities so that families can, um, you know, have a safe and affordable place to go home at the end of the night and have dinner together and all the great things that happen when when families. Uh, uh, enjoy each other's time. So uh, yeah. that's important to us. You know, there's lots and lots of great success stories about people who have kind of come and gone through our uh, housing units and 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 that. But um, you know, lots of crazy stories too. Uh, by and large, um, like, you know, you remember. Go ahead. Like a sacrificial calf. Yeah. Like a sacrificial <laughs> calf. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So you have been doing this for a really long time. It sounds like uh, since '87. Is that what you said? Yeah, we started, uh, Tom actually got started about six months ahead of me. Uh, he had started in 87, and then I just, right as soon as I got out of college, um, he, it's kind of a crazy story, but he, I was out here visiting for a week, and the first weekend I was here, Tom broke his back. Oh. And uh, and so I went into the hospital that week and, and checked on him, but I also went into his office. He had like four clients and five or six employees, and I just started calling clients and employees said Tom's been in an accident I have his brother Sean I don't know if he's ever going to walk again but if you need anything this week um, you know just let me know and sometime between Monday and Friday we decided I was going to go back and pack my stuff up I was planning on staying in Chicago and and come out and and take half of this company that was you know grossing a couple thousand bucks a month and off we went so that's kind of the you know the story it wasn't necessarily by design that we got into this business uh, together but um you know, I think that also reflects sort of that relationship that brothers had, right? He he, yeah. he was down, he needed help, and and that's what a brother does. You jump in and you and you you know you you take care of each other. So, um, uh, yeah, it was you know uh, it was it was a risky thing to do, I'm sure, at that age. But but you know, when you're young, you don't have a lot at risk, uh, or uh, yeah. so you can take those kinds of of risks, and and uh, hopefully they'll pay off. So I was going to save this question till towards the end but so it sounds like you were it, it, i read somewhere that you graduated notre dame in 88 um, is that is that right that's right yep yep so 
1988, there was also the Catholics versus Convicts, Notre Dame versus Miami football game. Were you present for that? Uh, so that it's it's a fun story. Um, so that uh, the the thirty for thirty show uh, and the shirt uh, was in the fall of nineteen eighty eight, uh-huh. um, and I had graduated in the spring. Oh. Um, so I was, but I was in Chicago at the time uh, of all that. So I do, uh, I do remember. I was I was at that game uh, live at that game, and yeah. uh, uh, but the. But I knew every one of those guys that, that they talk about in that show uh, were all guys that I knew. They talk about <clears throat> the dorm that that happened. I don't know if you remember the party. He talks about the line to get into the dorm to buy yeah. the T-shirts was longer than the line at the bookstore. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, and that was the dorm I lived in. And, and uh, the basketball player guy, the guy who was the varsity basketball player, was a, a good friend of mine, still a great friend of mine, Joe Frederick. Uh, and then the other guy uh, – um, Pat Walsh, who is really the featured guy in the story, I used to play a lot of basketball uh, against him, and and yeah, so that's just a you know those were epic uh, rivalries back then, Notre Dame yeah. and, and Miami. Yeah. We 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 loved playing each other, we loved hating each other, we loved uh, you know yeah. uh, fighting it out on the on the football field, kind of the glory days of Lou Holtz and yeah. and uh, and Notre Dame for sure. Did you did you did you have did you buy a shirt? Oh, I, yeah, I sure, sure. I had, uh, I had plenty of those shirts. You, st- you still got uh, them around? I've got one. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I've got an old Catholics versus Convicts one, and then I've oh. got a handful of other ones that, you know, that was a big time when, when you know, they first started kind of screen printing T-shirts and all that stuff. So that was a big deal that, that you know, you kind of collected all these shirts from all the games. So, huh. uh, yes, I do have a Catholics versus Convicts T-shirt. It's probably got a heck of a lot of holes in it now. Though. Yeah, that's, you know, great memento. The... Let's, yeah. uh, let's, all right, back to a more serious question. We uh, most of the time on the show we talk about like really the not necessarily the real estate market but more companies and businesses and the financial stock market and we've been tracking Zillow and Airbnb so we're kind of curious how maybe technology like that plays into your business does it affect it I mean how does how does that play into what you do Yeah yeah it's great great question you know so our business is mostly around apartment buildings, um, you know, multifamily, uh, residential assets. We do have some commercial assets, but, but it's mostly around apartments. And, and so, you know, at the end of the day, what we do is we rent space to people to live in. And, and to a large degree, that's the same business that Airbnb and Zillow are in as well. Um, but, but, um, you know, technology can't solve a lot of uh, things that you face in real estate. At the end of the day, real estate is still, you know, kind of a living, growing organism. The the the, the mechanical systems of, of these buildings, the people that are in them, uh, are things that you know, not technology can't address all that. So there's a human side of what we do that 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 I don't think will ever be necessarily threatened by uh, or be displaced by real estate. Having said yeah. that. Technology is a great thing to, to, to leverage uh, to be more efficient. And when you look at things like Airbnb and you look at things like Zillow, we're, we're adopting a lot of those uh, tools to be more effective in, in our, uh, you know, in our business. So Zillow, for example, we're, we're, we're leveraging that platform to, you know, market and lease apartment buildings. Oh, yeah. uh, you're seeing a lot of apartment communities, particularly kind of urban high rise uh, uh, type assets 
where they are uh, they are designating uh, you know a, a certain portion of the units in the uh, in the complex to short-term uh, uh, rentals and so that you're seeing that kind of product being uh, uh, marketed out on the Airbnbs of the world and those kinds of things so uh, you know and I think as you look at the demographics of of the population, particularly kind of that millennial uh, age group, you're getting, you know, they're much more migratory and, and, uh, you know, probably going to be moving around a lot. And so things like, you know, having flexibility in your marketing or in your leasing terms, are going to be important to them. And so, you know, tools like Zillow and Airbnb give you great, um, um, you know, leverage and resource to, 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 to meet that need. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So following up on, like how you guys use these tools. Can you describe the process from start to finish on how you like search for say another building and then complete the transaction for purchasing it? Yeah. 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 Um, well, uh, it's a, you know, it's a highly competitive, uh, marketplace today. And, and yeah. I guess I would start with saying that the market does cycle. So, um, today, uh, everybody seems wants to, you know, own real estate and in particular, you know, multifamily apartment assets are, are, you know, a, a favorable, uh, uh, asset class. And so there's a lot of competition for these properties, uh, today. Uh, the result of that is that if you're a seller, you know, you've got a lot of buyers. And so you want to, uh, take your property out and, and get the highest value and, and get those buyers all competing for it. So typically today an asset will be uh, marketed through a broker. Um, and and so, you know, a critical part of what we do is developing the relationships with those brokers so that uh, we get um, – uh, we get a crack at those deals when they, you know, when they come to market. Um, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of time and energy goes into cultivating those relationships um, and then positioning ourselves so that uh, if there's a seller who has a number of offers in front of them, um, the, one of the things the seller's concerned about is getting the highest price they can. Uh, but just as important for many of them, if not more important, is um, – uh, this certainty to close. They, 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 they want to know that if they go into contract with somebody that that, that buyer is going to close at the terms and the price and all that, that they've agreed to. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we believe we, we have sort of a, you know, I guess a competitive advantage in the marketplace there because we consistently, uh, you know, close with our, uh, sellers on our deals, uh, you know, at the price and terms that, that we negotiate up front. And, uh, 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 and so when we're standing in there in a, you know, in a, in a room against a, another buyer with the same price and terms, uh, hopefully we'll get the, we'll get the bid on those deals um, because that seller knows we're, we're going to be uh, the guys that are going to close that. So that, you know, that's kind of the front end of the deal. And then, you know, then yeah. the, once you get a deal under contract, then, you know, there's the whole financing side and the capital raising side and all those things that, that, that kind of come into play in our, the way we, we conduct our business. Business. We've got you know deep relationships with our financing sources, particularly on the debt side, okay. who know us very well and able to move quickly to a close. So we can typically get our debt financing arranged within just a couple of uh, two three weeks, um, and then have you know again a long term deep relationships with our investors um, who are you know nimble enough to move quick when we get on a deal and can uh, bring the capital to the table to on the equity side to allow us to um, you know close the transaction as well uh, mm-hmm. alongside with our own capital well wow. uh, now uh, a lot of 
what you see in the media is that uh, home prices are rising and rising, and especially in the Seattle and the Northwest area, are you guys? Do you guys still find yourself trying to acquire buildings right now, or are you kind of holding companies right or holding buildings? What yeah. are you guys doing? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a school of thought. I think what you're saying, there's a school of thought that, you know, this may be the top of the market. And why would you want to buy when prices are, you know, overinflated? Yeah. Um, You know, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. I think think we've been in this business long enough to know that things do cycle. Uh, We've been through, you know, four or five of those in the 30 years we've been in business. Yeah. Um, And and I think, you know, I think... um, you know, it, it, you, you could make a very strong argument that we are sort of in the, you know, the, 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 the top of the market or maybe even have crested here recently and are yeah. softening up a little bit. Um, our strategy is not necessarily to time the market. Uh, when we invest in, in real estate, we usually look at holding them for kind of a five, or excuse me, a, a seven to 10 year hold. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that window, you know, we're going to see good markets, we're going to see bad markets, and then we're making, you know, multiple consistent investments over you know over decades so that portfolio yeah. today that 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 we own is probably you know 30 40 different assets um, and we're not try- trying to time the market with it so yes there are times when you know we probably are making better buys because the market is is soft and and certainly some of those assets that we bought after the crash you know in, in 2009 2010 that are just now maturing those assets have been you know super good investments for us yeah. um, and maybe the ones we're making today if we look back you know five ten years from now you know they, they may may not have produced those same kind of returns uh, but it's kind of like dollar cost averaging investing in the stock market you know yeah. you can't necessarily predict what the market's going to do and as long as you're making um uh you know valid and 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 thorough and and um you know astute uh, underwriting assumptions in your acquisitions um you know you should be able to uh weather the storm on those um uh, you know on those cycles if you're not over leveraging the asset and, and put taking too much risk and that way that way timing doesn't really matter as much um yes yeah. so yeah, you yeah. mentioned the uh the crash of 2008 and we were wondering since you guys you know the real estate market was the focal point of that and it got hit really hard what was your company's experience with that, and did you guys learn anything from it? Oh boy, did we learn uh, from that? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, those were hard days. Um, what was unique about that crash, and, and we'd been through a you know number of cycles even before that. Um, is how deep it went. Um, usually those cycles before that, you know, you'd see there, there, there were real estate investors who got hurt and got, you know, had to go through bankruptcy and that kind of stuff in those prior cycles. Um, but they were usually the ones that were, you know, taking a ton of risk and high leverage and those kinds of yeah. things. So one little blip on the, you know, on the market, um, impacted them. this one, the 008, 09, um, you know, that one just it cut so deep that even even risk averse sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, low leverage type of investors uh, were impacted uh, heavily. The unique thing about it in our space was that um, 
uh, it was really a, a crisis of credit, uh, of debt, um, and it wasn't necessarily, particularly in the, in the multifamily world, it wasn't necessarily a demand problem. What, what happened, if you, if you read about it, um, you guys who, who may not have experienced it firsthand, yeah. Uh, yeah. really what happened, it, it, was, a, it was a housing crisis uh, primarily around the single-family uh, you know, residential market. Yeah. Uh, uh, that all drive that sort of that free credit that was that was fueling that um, uh, that demand all dried up. Oh yeah. And so 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 those people couldn't afford to buy houses, or those who had had uh, over leveraged themselves to buy a house lost the house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, what that meant for us in the apartment world is, frankly, a lot of those people had to move out of a house and move into an apartment. So there was actually a, a spike in demand for our product. Um, uh, during that, during that cycle, excuse me. That's, yeah, that's kind of what we, we assume that more people, more people started to lean towards renting instead of buying since they were, you couldn't get those ridiculous loans that you were able to get prior to the crisis. Um, now when you guys look for like a building that you want to buy, what are you looking for exactly? Like, is it the area? Is it, you know? What is it that you go through? What process do you go through to find a building? Yeah, you know the old adage in real estate is location, 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 and I think that that you know that rings true with us as well. Yeah, uh, but every, everybody's got a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our strategy is is typically to look in suburban markets. So what you see in the in the core of, of downtown Seattle and even Bellevue is those markets cycle up and down. Pretty, you know, pretty highs and lows when 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 the market moves, um, and there's a lot of risk that's associated with that. Uh, we like being in the suburbs because the metro market will will rise and fall with um, you know job creation and, and economic cycles like we're seeing in Seattle right now. Uh, but when the market softens, those people don't necessarily move away. So take a, take take a, an Amazon employee today, right? Amazon's been hiring like crazy, so we've been renting, filling up all kinds of apartments. Um, but as soon as Amazon starts laying off or slowing down, those employers are probably going to move somewhere else. They're going to go to HQ two somewhere in you know in yeah. Virginia or New York or, or whatever. Uh-huh. But if you rent if you're renting an apartment in in Arlington uh, or in Puyallup and um, you know Amazon uh, starts laying people off, you're probably not going to move. You're probably not working for Amazon or or uh, uh, or someone like that. You're yeah. probably you know have more of a working class. Uh, um, you know, blue collar job, maybe, a, uh, you know, a, a something in the finance or, 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 or uh, you know, insurance type worlds, those kinds of things. And so those, what we find is that those properties are more stable. We don't go through the, the peaks and the valleys. Um, and then there's not as much competition for them. Everybody wants to, you know, own the big, sexy high rise downtown Seattle. Um, and they kind of look past the little old uh, garden style apartment building, uh, you know, out in the suburbs. So uh, we, we, we would, you know, you could kind of call us the, you know, suburban, um, you know, uh, quality uh, assets in the suburban markets um, that, that, you know, are looking for long term holds uh, and and nice, uh, uh, you know, nice stable returns. Yeah. Got it. So that would kind of we're 
running a little low on time here, but I wanted to ask, what is one of your, if you have one, do you have a favorite property that you've ever bought? You're like, all right, this is the one. I love this one. Or you got it at a great deal. Do you have one spot that you really, that you really liked? Yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of those. Um, uh, you know, we, I don't know that there's an asset in our portfolio that, that we don't like right now. Um, I mean, there's yeah. certain ones that, that, that we like that we think will perform better than others. Uh, we've got, we've got an asset up in, uh, Bellingham that, um, 212 unit, um, property up in Bellingham in kind of one of the newer, uh, uh, neighborhoods developed up there. Um, and we've owned that asset for six, eight years, probably. It, it just performs like a champ. We like Bellingham a lot. It's a very stable market. It's actually a much more diverse job story up there than you would think. There's uh, heavy influence from Canada coming down there. There's a lot of retired uh, folks in that in that space. So very, very strong, stable asset uh, there. Um, we've got a, a, a property in uh, in Stanwood that was really just a great buy. We ended up uh, we oh. bought a uh, we bought an existing property and then we bought a, an empty uh, a goat farm next to it and were able to develop another hundred units on that vacant land uh, that really took us from about a hundred unit property to a two hundred unit property and that scale has really enhanced the performance of that asset. We had a deal in downtown. Uh, yeah, well, I shouldn't say downtown. It was in uh, Ballard um, that we oh. bought at the bottom of the crash. It was an apartment building that someone was trying to convert into condominiums, so they had really tricked it out with, you know, granite countertops and stainless steel um, appliances and all that. But they lost it back to the bank, and we ended up buying it from the bank, uh, turned it back into uh, apartment product, just regular rental product, um, stabilized the asset, um, uh, and owned that uh, just and sold, sold that here about a year or so ago, and did really really well on on that asset. So there's a number of them like that. Every one's got a different story. There's different reasons why you, you know, some of it's just a pure financial leverage model. Some of it's, um, you know, development opportunities. Some of it you're catching, uh, you know, a rise in, in the local uh, market, the, the, the neighborhood, um, you know, those kinds of things. So that's really the, you know, the expertise of, 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 the, of the business that hopefully we've, we've built that, um, uh, you know, over the years to be able to identify those opportunities. Yeah. That's good. Um, that's kind of it. All of our all of our questions for the actual real estate in your company. Uh, one one last sign off question. Notre Dame's done pretty well. Are you uh, you going to the playoffs? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we're all just playing for the chance to get uh, get our butts kicked by Alabama. I think at this <laughs> stage, they, yeah. they they look like a formidable foe. Uh, and we'll see if, uh, if we go, I am, uh, I'm not going to go to the playoff game. It it looks like we're going to probably end up playing in, um, in Miami, uh, and likely against Clemson. Um, uh, so I don't think I'm going to go that far, but if they go to the national championship, I'll, I'll be there for sure for that one. Regardless, I went back in 2012 when we played and got embarrassed by, by Alabama, but uh, one of these, one of these years we're going to win it. And, uh, I'd kick myself if I was wasn't there yeah that'd be awesome all right well thank you for coming on um it was great to have you yeah thanks for doing this sean okay guys thanks a lot see you later that was our interview with sean hoban we want to thank him again for coming on now we got one last segment which is are you calling me a liar i ain't calling you a truther all right so how does this go 
Yeah, so we've done this one before, but if you didn't listen to that episode, which, you know, so many people did, but uh, <laughs> basically I found some articles online that I think are pretty ridiculous, and I also came up with some fake ones, and Ryan's going to try to guess if these are real or fake, and then we're going to see how he does. So I'm seeing if he's a liar or a truther. Yeah. All right, All right first so one. First one we got going, uh, Floyd Mayweather and DJ Khaled uh, were fined by the SEC for pumping up fraudulent IPOs. Now, uh, I actually heard about this, ah. so I am going to call you a trutha. Okay. Give you a little free pass there. But if, if, I didn't, if I hadn't heard about it, I would think that's ridiculous, and I'd probably say no. Okay. Um, yeah. What, I, what exactly happened? Yeah, so Floyd and uh, DJ Khaled, they kind of just pumped up this crypto thing, and they got paid to do it, but they didn't tell people that they were paid to do it. Turns out, like most ICOs, they were all, they it went to zero, everyone lost their money, and like Floyd and DJ Khaled got paid like 300k each to do this, and then they got fined like 750,000, I think, somewhere around there. Um, Yikes. To me, that just makes sense. Uh, I it, totally see that yeah. happening. <laughs> you know, I... For Floyd being the highest paid athlete of all time, it sounds like he's trying to find a, a lot of ways to make money still. Mm-hmm. He might go broke. And DJ so, Khaled, uh, he might have took that, you know, it's kind of a major crypto key, right? <laughs> another one. Another yeah, one. Another, another fraudulent all right. ICO. Uh, all right, okay, next one. next one. A security lapse at 1877 Cars for Kids. Throwback, remember those? Their <laughs> database exposes thousands of donation records. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go trutha. I'm calling you a trutha. Yeah, that, that's real. Um, I, yeah, I don't think you're creative enough to come up with that. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just thought this one was so funny. Um, <laughs> those commercials were probably one of my favorites of all time. You should go look them up if you oh, haven't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they exposed some, I guess, some data, which, you know, every company does this these days, but, yeah, the, they kind of, you know, drop the, the donations ball. Donations on... Cars for kids? What is I know, because cards, kids definitely need cars. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, next let's, one. Uh, yeah, let's move next on to the next one. This company is selling, from Sweden, is selling three... Wait, <laughs> stop. I'll stop you there. I'm going to call you a liar on this one. Okay, let Already. me say it first. Let me say it first. All this right. Swedish company is selling bottles of Swedish air, and people are buying it. <laughs> That's not real? I don't think that's real. It's not. That is not real. But there is a Canadian company selling Canadian air. So there is a there is a company selling <laughs> Canadian air in a can. Air and in a can. Are, yeah, they're buying it. People are buying it for twenty dollars. So why? I don't know. That okay. Next one. Yeah. Our favorite guy, Kevin O'Leary, Mister um, Wonderful. We talked about him a couple times before. Real bearish on Apple now. He says, if you want to get rich, you got to start working 25 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, uh, that does sound like an O'Leary quote. I'm going to go Trutha. Calling you a wow, Trutha. You're doing well. You'd be right. He's All right. On more CNBC. For more. Looks like our guy Kevin broke the space time continuum. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, anyone out there not working 25 hours a day, I mean, step up your game. Come on, guys. Yeah, come on. Okay, last one. Last one, here we go. I'm going to get you with this one. A cow in Australia... Cow in Australia. ...has been found out to be the biggest cow in the world. I saw that. I saw that. Truth. Okay. I'm calling truth? you a truth. Yeah, well, turns out all the articles were fake. But the articles are real. So mm, yeah, but you it are wasn't telling the, the truth. No, because the articles said that they're real, but turns out it was just a fake picture. Like, those cows around it... No. were actually tiny cows, and that was just a regular-sized cow. So, <sighs> kind of a trick there, um, you know. So, four for five. 
Yeah, he did pretty well. I'll that, take that. Prove it last time. I think he only got two or three. So yeah. Right. All right. Well, that is gonna do it. That's gonna wrap up our show. And as always, we want to remind our listeners that we are not financial advisors. Uh, anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money should not be formal advice or recommendation. Uh, if you like the podcast and you are interested in more of our content, follow us on Twitter at Chit Chat Money. You can also check out our uh, strongly opinionated articles on marketbrothersmedia.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you.